Welcome to a football show, Monday edition, and for the fourth consecutive week, non-victorious Monday edition of a football show. Brought to you, of course, by the Pharmacy and Kingston Group. Normally, we'd be at the pharmacy celebrating or drowning our sorrows. Zach would be drinking beer, probably. I'd be trying to not drink beer, uh, but that is Mike Herndon. Hi, Mike. How are you? Hey, look at me. I'm not Zach. (laughs) That's not Zach. Um, I I don't know if Zach wants us to tell everybody what's happened, but he was in Memphis over the weekend having a big time. I think there might have been some issues, some dietary things that may have taken place, (laughs) and we're not sure where he is. He might be somewhere between Jackson and Lexington, Tennessee, out there, you know, in the middle of nowhere. We're not really sure. Uh, but uh, not feeling great, so we thought we'd call in, in Mike Herndon here to hang out. And, of course, I'm Braden Gall. Thanks for hanging out with us. Get into the comment section uh, if you want to enjoy what we have to do today, which is discuss the fourth consecutive loss for the Tennessee Titans, the first ever four-game losing, four losing streak for Mike Vrabel and his time as the head coach for the Titans. Of course, their ninth consecutive loss to the Chargers on the road, which is just a random and bizarre stat and means really nothing to the game. Uh, we'll get into the quarterback situation. We'll talk about the coordinator stuff. We'll talk about the injuries. I think we've got a theory we'd like to maybe meander and work our way through about why this team is so injured all the time. Mike Vrabel talked a lot about the injuries. Of course, was asked a lot about the injuries in Monday's press conference. Uh, play calling as well, of course. We'll get to all of that. The greatest sporting event in maybe all of the, the calendar year took place on Sunday. And no, it was not the Chargers and Titans. So we'll get to that a little bit later on as well. So, Mike, good to have you, man. First of all, tell everybody where they can find all your work, all the great shows you do, all the scribings, all the workings. You're very well listened to and very well read and very popular. Yeah, so uh, I, I will be talking and writing a lot about this uh, this godforsaken football team uh, this <laughs> week. Um, so F Words Pod uh, will be out on. Uh, it usually comes out Tuesday evening or uh, Wednesday morning, uh, and then we'll have uh, that same time frame. My my writing at paulkarski.com comes out. Uh, usually goes up Tuesday evening or Wednesday morning, and then on Thursday, if you've not had enough of me at that point, uh, the Mike Herndon show um, with and freeze we do some tape breakdown we talk a little bit about you know we mull over the dead body a little bit more and then we will move on to previewing uh you know a couple dead bodies playing against each other uh next weekend yeah well hey actually the other dead body might still be alive they might it might it might still be twitching as the houston texans playing valiantly yes they're playing valiant football right now despite losing every single weekend it's still you know, they're, they're playing hard. Um, three games left to go for both the Titans and, of course, the Jaguars, who come from behind, speaking of zombie apocalypse, come from behind and somehow manage a victory over uh, the Dallas Cowboys. The magic number is three. Uh, that means they're probably going to end up playing for the division championship in the final weekend. It's not 100%, but it's possible. So we'll get to all the playoff machinations as well. D. Good, of course, chiming in right away from the beginning. Blow everything up in the first minute of the show. Welcome to the show, D. Good. Again, if you have any questions or comments, please jump into the notifications. Rate, review, subscribe to all the great shows that Mike just told you about, as well as all the other shows, of course, from the 440 Sports Network. The Preds are also... This is a great time to be a Nashville sports fan, by the way. <laughs> the Preds fans also, gold standard, it's all your fault. Listen to those two shows. Also wanting to blow it all up right now. Uh, there's no question about that. Club and Country just did a huge recap of the World Cup, so go check out that show. Fringe Element's going to be previewing your college football playoff games coming up this weekend, which is coming up this excuse me next weekend so uh we've got a lot of fun stuff planned for you guys happy holidays zach will be back on thursday and uh before we do any of that however call out here to our great sponsors pharmacy right over there in east nashville mcfarren avenue great burgers great place to watch game or great place to uh hang out and eat 
eat food and not get to watch games because they don't want you to have screens, which in this case on Sundays, it's probably a good thing. So oh, yeah. <laughs> you want a great beer that's locally sourced. You want a great burger. You want some tots. You want the best mustard I've ever seen in my life, ever tasted in my life. Go to the pharmacy over there on East, in East Nashville. Go check it out. they got a location downtown as well, but why would anyone want to go downtown? Uh, buildkg.com is the website for the Kingston Group. Uh, that's the website there. Before you make any big decisions about your house, you're, you're going to be, you know, these things are very, very expensive when you make big decisions about your house, when you want to add a wing, when you want to buy or sell a place, when you do want to do a big renovation. They're very expensive right now, so make sure you have the best people on the job. That's buildkg.com, the Kingston Group. Uh, Nashville's locally owned custom home and remodeling firm, award-winning two locally owned companies sponsor this show, Broadway Sports Media, of course, Insider Account, 440 Sports, all local, all the time. So support local business, folks. Uh, we keep the community moving forward. Uh, all right. Um, I've already got a couple of comments about <laughs> the past and the future and all this stuff. They, they lose and it's four straight in a row. And it's the first of the Mike Vrabel era. He, he answered some questions about attitude and teams quitting and personality. And I actually don't think any of that's really the issue, Mike. But when, when you just I want to get your general thoughts. You walk away from that game. It ends with the defense playing extremely valiantly with all the injuries. No Danico Autry, David Long, Fulton, on and on and on. Offense has the same exact problems. Offense, Ryan Tannehill gets hurt on the first drive uh, and is in the is in the tent, gets carted back, comes back, plays incredibly tough football. Just what's what's the first thing that hits you? Like when you leave that moment and you leave that game and we try to come up with a new way to describe this team, how what's the first thing that's on your mind when the game ends? I mean, I, honestly, the first thing that came to my mind was that they have not quit because I this was a spot where I felt like they were going to get destroyed. Uh, going to L.A., you know, the Chargers are finally healthy on offense for the most part. You know, Mike Williams, Keenan Allen, Josh Palmer, all their weapons were, were good to go. Uh, kind of Justin Herbert looks like he's feeling like himself again after the rib issue earlier in the season. So to me, I, I felt like this was a spot where they – it's set up for them to be crushed. They, they were without all the, you know, seven defensive starters, basically. If you looked at, like, first of the season projections, who would be in there for this game? Seven of your 11 starters on defense not in this game at all. And then they lost guys, you know, throughout the course of the game. They, and by the end of this game, they were down from just a cornerback standpoint six of their top seven corners from what you would have expected headed into this year. It was just Roger McCreary. And then you had John Reed and, uh, and Greg Maben out there as, as your other corners. And they, they held the chargers to 17 points on the road, despite all that. So I, I felt like it was a team that did not give up. They fought the, the defense held up there into the bargain and the offense came up short again which is just like those are the two things you can count on with the Titans this year is there are going to be injuries and the offense is going to come up short. Uh, and it's it it's odd because they're finding different ways to do it. You know, Derrick Henry the last couple weeks now has been productive um, after going completely AWOL for, you know, a month of the season, basically. Um, he has finally popped back up. And now, you know, they just – in this game, to me, it was third downs, you know, basically that did the men. They were terrible on third down throughout this game. Um, and you have zero wide receivers, you know, Robert Woods and NWI and uh, whoever else they were, Chris Conley. You know, I think those guys combined for like 30 or 40 yards total in this game. So it's, just, it's the same problems, just kind of re it's like, it's like Mexican food, you know, like it's all the same ingredients. It's just how it's packaged. It's the same problems. It's just how it's packaged with the Titans this year. 
So it's funny. I, I wrote down, and, and, and Vrabel kind of alluded to this, that they lost in such a different way to the Jaguars than they did, at, especially at home, to, to the Chargers than on the road. Again, if you'd have told Titans fans they were going to have three sacks on defense without all the with all the injuries, right? Seven starters. Again, I, same thing at middle linebacker. Like I know Dylan Cole got back out onto the field, but like how many middle linebackers are are out of their top four or five middle linebackers? I think like three or four of them are injured. Yeah. If you'd have told me that this defense would have three sacks, two interceptions, Justin Herbert would be held without a touchdown pass for just the third time in his entire career. I think that's almost fifty games. That Derrick Henry would be over hundred yards rushing, one hundred and sixty three yards from scrimmage. And this would be a one-score game tied with with less than a minute to go. And we can we're we're going to talk all kinds of shit about the offense. I get it. It's it's all the same stuff. The offensive line, the receiving corp, Todd Downing's play calling, Ryan Tannehill's injured. We, it's all the same stuff. But they delivered when it counted the most. I never had any faith in them being able to go down the field and score a touchdown to tie the yeah. game, and they did. And they did it really well to 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 milk the clock and force the timeouts. And and like they did it actually pretty well from an execution standpoint. And they get in with 44 seconds to go. I thought go for two is the right call. I don't. It, did, it turned out it doesn't matter. I don't know if being down changes the way the Chargers run that final drive, or maybe the pressure's on the kicker maybe a little bit more, and he misses the kick. Like I don't know how you feel about that, but I, I do think going for two is the right decision. Rabel said, you know, hey, too much time on the clock, and I'm like, dude, you're either going to get a stop or you're not on the final drive. And so I don't. I don't know if, what you think. Like I still think going for two is the right call, but. I don't know how much that changes the final drive if they're up by one versus tied. Yeah, and I kind of thought, you know, from a psychology standpoint that maybe that's what Vrabel was going for. Was He was thinking that maybe if we're tied, they're not going to press as much to get down the field and, and right. try to get that field goal, and, and maybe we can get to overtime versus, you know, if you, if you get the two-point conversion, obviously the Chargers are going all out to try to move down and get in field goal range. So I, I don't know. Maybe he thought – it would take a little wind out of their sails offensively, but it, yeah, yeah I, I thought to me in the moment, I was thinking, yes, go for two. Um, you know, you've got Derrick Henry, you know, I guess maybe the question is, well, we don't, you know, Tannehill's immobile. So right. a lot of the stuff right. that you would want to do on a two point play at the goal line is, is based on quarterback mobility. Um, at least what the Titans have done in the past, you know, whether it be booting a quarterback out or, right. or running that zone read that they love on the goal line. Um, it, I, maybe that factored into it, but I would have liked to see them go for two. But like you said, wouldn't have mattered either way. Yeah. Uh, Josh says, Titans should be grateful for past success, but understand that it's run its course and they need to look at a full-scale rebuild. Uh, they're either getting older at positions or just not good at it. Uh, Nick chimes in, of course, the roster when healthy is still pretty solid, especially this latest draft class who is only going to improve. Problem is no one can ever stay on the field. So two things there. We are going to get to what the total rebuild, at least what the first step of the rebuild could look like today on the show and sort of that decision-making process, which again, obviously begins with the general manager, but that I'm, I'm going to kind of go one step further from that. And then we're going to have an injury conversation as to why this team is like this. Um, th this team, Vrabel said on Monday, he's changed the way this team practices since his first year but that it's not all that different from last year and the year before. And so there's not really, again, you know, Derrick Henry lands on Nate Davis's ankle. That's not something you can practice to get rid of. That just sort of happens. So we'll get to both of those conversations. Uh, D good says he has nothing positive to say right now. Some guy named Zach Lyons says he's positive that this team stinks. I don't know who that guy is. Um, and, uh, and if you got any more questions, please, please chime in. But uh, I, I do, I want to get to the, Obviously, the dichotomy of the coordinators has, is on display in this game. The job that Shane Bowen and Mike Vrabel did to get this team prepared with all the injuries 
as I said, to, to, to lay out those stats against Herbert and the Chargers. And then you come back and you see uh, now it's like a weekly conversation. Like, all right, where, how real is the Todd Downing problem this year, this week? And I don't really think that this week was particularly Todd Downing's fault. I do think the offense sucks as a whole because of John Robinson, Todd Downing and injuries combined. So I think that there's a change coming. I would hope a rational fan would think um, the third and two stuff. I, I know why people complain about that. I know why people say, look, why isn't Derrick Henry on the field for third and two? I thought the sack when they could have had a field goal again, it was tied at seven and that took three points off the board. That was on Ryan Tannehill. Todd Downing actually called a brilliant play on third and nine. Hassan Haskins is wide open in the flats on that. Tannehill has to get rid of the football on that play. I'd ha I have a problem with not running the ball, maybe on first down on the 25 yard line, potentially. So how much of this is on Todd Downing? How much do you think fans sometimes occasionally misunderstand matchups and formations and game prep? And, and then, again, how much of this was purely just not having enough talent, not having enough ability, Ryan Tannehill getting hurt and clearly not having any ability to move around? Like, what, what's how much blame this week, Mike? <laughs> it's I mean, it's something like I've kind of wrestled with all season because I, I agree. Like, and I think we're all in agreement that Todd Downing has not done a great job as Titans offensive coordinator. Um, you know, and and I think everyone would like to see this offense just go in a different direction after the season is over. No doubt about that. But I, I do think like if you look at the roster and you say, OK, you're able to bring in the best offensive coordinator in the league. Let's say Sean McVay, you know. And you say, Sean, we want you to make this offense with Dennis Daly at left tackle, Aaron Brewer at left guard, a rookie at right tackle, and virtually zero threatening receivers uh, on the roster. And you have a very, very specific running back. Like Derrick Henry, while he is wildly talented, he runs, he needs an offense to be very specifically tailored to him. He is not like uh, a guy that you could just plug into any offense and make work. So, I, I don't think McVeigh would have any success here either. Like that, that is why I have struggled to just say uh, Downing is the problem. As soon as you get rid of Downing, it's all going to be better, uh, and it's all his fault. I, I don't, I don't think he's doing a good job. I also don't think he's given anywhere near enough pieces. And you look yeah. at what the Rams' offense looks like with just you know injuries to Cooper Cup, injuries to their offensive line. It is terrible. Their offense has been terrible all year, and that's with a great offensive mind. So. And, and it happens, it's happened to Shanahan in the past. It's happened to all the great coordinators, with the exception of maybe Andy Reid, who, you know, somehow his teams always stay healthy, um, which maybe the Titans should look into why that is. Mm. Uh, we can talk about that here in a minute. But um, this is <laughs> one of those things that I just, I, I wrestle with it. And the third and two stuff, I do agree. Like, as a third down back, I think Henry is generally lacking. Like, he doesn't give you, and Vrabel talked a little bit about this today. You want a guy who's able to separate on a choice route in, in that spot as your third down back. That is not Derrick Henry's game. He is not a guy no. that's going to come out of the backfield, break down a defender, and separate in a, a short area and, and be able to catch the ball. He's got very questionable hands. He is not a, a short area separator. Uh, he's not a great pass blocker either for that matter. So I think all of those things point to him not needing to be on the field on third down and also – as much as they use him, they've got to get him off the field at some point. So why not take him off the field on third downs to be able to give you, uh, you know, that's your chance to get your yeah. legs under you. Um, but with the third and short stuff specifically, I do think uh, 
I would like to see Henry on third and two in the yes. game. Just because yes. to me, especially towards midfield where you'd be inclined to go for it on fourth and short, like fourth and one, fourth and inches. Can you get one and put it in a go situation where you feel like you're going to convert, you know, 60, 70% of the time, because that's a, a better result than a lot of these pass, uh, you know, pass looks or, yeah. or whatever they end up running. Um, I would like to see Henry and and just run the ball on third and two, like make them stop you a yeah, couple yeah. times. I, and I love like what Philly's doing and what's with the rule with the new rules where you're allowed to have one guy pushing the quarterback, for example. Maybe not with uh, although they did it on the fourth and goal or the third and goal to tie the game actually, where Den- Derrick Henry pushes Ryan Tannehill. I mean, the Wildcat has been pretty successful for this team with Derrick Henry when he has a chance to get like a four or five yard head start and you got extra blockers in there, the quarterback then is removed from the blocking scheme, and you can add an extra blocker there. Uh, or using Tannehill as the as the the quarterback sneak with Henry pushing. Like There's lots of other creative ways where Henry actually becomes an asset, even if he's not being used. So I'm, I agree, sure. on third and two, you should be out there. What I don't think people truly grasp all the time, and I think cor- f- blaming a coordinator for all your offensive issues is not some new phenomenon in football. It's like It is like the oldest tradition as a football fan. It's always your offensive coordinator's fault. It is if you're a college pro, high school, it doesn't matter. XFL, it's the coordinator's fault. It's always the coordinator's fault. He didn't call the right plays. I don't think people truly, if they actually sat in meetings, and again, this is not a defense of Todd Downing because I think he should be fired at the end of the season. But I think if you sat in, when people get angry about one play and they look at this one, well, how could you run that one play? It's because they probably practiced that one play against a specific look the entire week. And when they get a 46 bear look with a corner blitz off the edge, like Cincinnati was doing, then maybe you run, maybe that's the, it's the out route to the receiver or something like, Oh, and then they're throwing it on third and two. And if you get it, everyone's like, what a brilliant call. And if you don't, everyone's like, why the fuck didn't you run the ball? So I like, I just think there's some element of this that again, I'm, I'm not Todd Downing needs to go. I got it. But like, I do think that yelling about a specific play call, I, I think is almost it's like it's, it's like blaming the refs. I think it's very lazy fandom. It's not maybe understanding the full extent of football. Sometimes it doesn't mean Derrick Henry shouldn't have been out there. I'm OK with that criticism, but it doesn't it, like throwing the ball in third and two is not that crazy in the NFL in 2022. You know, no, it's definitely. I mean, that, that would probably be more common. You know, the only right. <laughs> the only thing I, I think the Titans are a little bit different just because you should be able to run the ball sure. with Henry. Sure. But um, yeah, I think no, you're true. right, though, like the. I think a lot of people just don't realize how complicated these NFL offenses really are. And that, you know, a lot of people see, well, you know, they just run it up the middle all the time. Well, there's like 19 different ways they can run, run it up the middle. You know, they can run power, they can run draw, they can run inside zone, they can run duo, they can run wham. Like there's a million different inside runs that all look different. All are designed to attack different things. And that is, you know, it's yeah. it's a complicated thing to put together to begin with. And no, I don't think they're doing a great job of it. And particularly like, and this has been a complaint going all the way back to, you know, Arthur Smith. The drop back passing game is just not up to snuff as far as I'm concerned with other NFL offenses. Like you just don't see good enough route distribution. You don't see good enough spacing. Part of that is the receiver stink. Uh, and, and I think that's that's something that we have to come back to here, especially with Traylon Burks out. You have zero receivers that can separate against man coverage. Yep. Not a single one yep. of them. I mean, Chris Conley ain't doing it. Robert Woods ain't doing it. <laughs> NWI ain't doing it. 
none of them are separating against man. So you have to be able to scheme them open all the time. I'm not sure Robert Woods has been open the entire year. Oh, no. Anytime he catches it, it's with a defender on his back. Um, (laughs) And it's that's not a strength of his game. Like, if you get a team that runs zone coverage and lets him sit down in kind of the soft spots, he's great at that. He's really good. Um, but it is not his game to separate against man. And that, you know, why wouldn't teams want to run man against the Titans right now? Like they have nobody who can beat them. Uh, so until Traylon Burks gets back, that that will continue to be an issue because he's the only one currently on the roster uh, that can do that. And that's a major John Robinson issue. Yes, yes, we'll get to that. So a couple of people here have already mentioned this. Like AE says, do you think Vrabel was fired or they decide to mutually part ways? Zero, zero percent chance in my opinion. D. Good says, is it me or is Vrabel just going through the motions until Ohio State uh, fires Ryan Day? And I, I look, I don't like the part of the reason John Robinson isn't here. And this is kind of my last point on Todd Downing is is because they want Mike Vrabel to be in charge. I, my, I, Mike Vrabel, from what I understand and who I've talked to, is not he enjoys like the human element of recruiting, but he doesn't enjoy the time commitment to recruiting. And frankly, I don't know who does other than maybe Nick Saban and Kirby Smart. Like it's it's a it's eighty percent of your job description. I I don't think that firing Mike Vrabel or he's interested in Ohio State. Like I don't think either of those things are true. I think it's Mike Vrabel's job for the foreseeable future. Now, my question about the Todd Downing thing and and, and relate it to John Robinson. It's all about for me wins above replacement. If you don't know baseball or you don't know a- analytics, it's about how good is the other guy that that could come in and do the job. Or in front office situation, maybe maybe a woman. I I think. I think the the bullseye above John Robinson is pretty small. Like I think he's pretty. Who would argue that Todd Downing is better at his job than John Robinson was at his? Right? Nobody. Yeah. John, John Robinson is clearly better at his job. Best GM in Titans history. Clearly better at his job than Todd Downing is at his. So if you're talking wins above replacement, John Robinson's way above Todd Downing. So to me, that means there's a larger a larger bullseye that you can shoot for. A larger gap of imp- of potential improvement above Todd Downing than there is even for John Robinson. So if they're willing to make the move on. John Robinson, it makes no sense at all to not shoot for something better than Todd Downing. So I I, I think that's what's going to happen. I think the other side of this is what is going to happen with the quarterback position because I'm, I'm watching this game and I'm watching the last four games. And first of all, my first thought was what, what devil did Ryan Tannehill make a deal with in the summer of 2019? Because no one deserves to be otherwise no one deserves to be treated this way. Like I don't know if he if he made a deal with like some evil spirit to to give him his best, most efficient to see three seasons of his career to make a hundred million dollars, I'd understand it. This is your payback. <laughs> the, yeah. the the bill has come due. Yeah. And, the, and this Titans offensive line is what you get. Otherwise, nobody deserves this. And I just can't help but wonder like what is if we're going to have people say blow it all up and we're going to have a new general manager and you got all the cap stuff that's dealing that's with, with this team next year and this quarterback with a rookie quarterback, it's the, it's hard to not mentally land on what is the first step of the off season and the, besides the GM and the first step of the off season is some semblance of a decision around Ryan Tannehill. And I don't know, like now that the GM's changed, what are the options for the Titans around the quarterback in your opinion? Yeah, and I also think that that decision will influence what the offensive coordinator decision is too, right? Because, yep. you know, you want a very different looking offense if you are going to try to make Malik Willis work um, versus what you would want if you were trying to be, bring back Ryan Tannehill and try to like reboot what you'd found in 2019, 2020. 
Um, so I think that's, it's probably the most important question. And to me, you know, it's all going to come down to what ownership wants, right? It is, is ownership when they go into these meetings with the GMs, cause I'm imagining they're going to have several interviews. Um, they're going to hear different pitches from, you know, potential GM candidates as far as what is your vision? What do you, what would you do if we gave you this job this off season to get us back on the right track? And some of them are going to say, you need to get rid of Tannehill, clear your books, rebuild, see if Malik Willis is something, and then be ready to draft another quarterback in what looks yep. like a really good quarterback class in 2024. Drake May, um, baby. Drake May. So <laughs> I think that's what some guys are going to pitch, or, or ladies, of course. Um, and I think others will say, look, you've got a good quarterback. You've got a, a you know top half of the league quarterback in Ryan Tannehill. I can come in and, and put some wide receivers around him. He needs a left tackle who can protect him. Uh, you know, I'm going to rebuild this offensive line, get you get you some better weapons. And with the defense that you've already got in place, you know, if we can figure out a way to keep them healthy. Uh, you could compete next year. So what sounds more appealing of those two options, Damian Adam Strunk? And he, only she can answer that, right? Because some owners will have or some individuals will have more uh, more of a taste for a rebuild versus uh, a reset, you know? So it's going to be very interesting, but I think, you know, if you cut Tannehill, you're saving, I think it's 17, 18 million against the cap. Um, if you trade it, it's the same thing. It'll be exciting uh, to watch him uh, run the Falcons offense next year. Um, well, I, I, I will say this. <laughs> I think a trade of Tannehill is very much in play. Like, I don't think they'll have to cut him. I think you could trade him and get real assets back. It's think about like teams like the commanders or the giants, you know, both that we watched last night or, or the jets teams that are not that far away at other spots, but need yeah. an above up, upper half of the league quarterback to kind of go to, all right, we're in the playoffs and now we're going to see if we can win a couple yeah. games. Tannehill would be I, great on those teams. I, I find it so interesting like this. Cause again, Mike Vrabel said, and, you know, we've got Fork in the Road down there on the screen, and Vrabel used the phrase crossroads the day before John Robinson was fired, basically. And it does feel like everything will be informed by the quarterback, like the GM and then the quarterback and everything else after that is informed by those two decisions. And it feels like and we're just going to kind of quickly run through what could what could happen. Obviously, there's a contract restructuring coming if he wants if they want to keep him. If they're going to keep him, they're going to have to figure out a way to do something to the contract because the money just it ain't right. Um I do think that trading him, if you are, I don't think you need to blow it all up because as you mentioned, the defense is sound. The head coach ain't going anywhere. Like you've got a lot of good stuff in place. The draft class last year is looking to develop Chig Conquo, by the way, congratulations on breaking the fresh, the rookie tight end receiving record for this team yesterday. He's clearly the most explosive weapon they have in the passing game, not named Traylon Burks, but when Burks and Phillips and Chig are on the field, like there's some pieces there to work with sure. replacing running backs is not as difficult as people think, even though Derrick Henry's on his path to, to a hall of fame career. Uh, it's, it's more about like, what do you want to be and who are you on offense and moving on from Tannehill will not help you win games, but throwing Malik Willis out there and beginning the process to move towards a more modern NFL offense while also knowing you've got to go find the future guy because maybe will I mean I don't know about you but Willis has a lot of skill he has got a ton of skill I don't know if it ever clicks for him but he's got elite elite abilities at a lot of different situations and we know he likes to work hard so maybe there's a chance there I to me I'm almost like just put my put Willis as your starter start him move on from Tannehill if you can get assets for him great 
But if you want to modernize this offense, you got to start with moving on from Tannehill and the coordinator with the new general manager and see what you, and, and see what you have in Willis and see what the offense looks like with some new concepts and some new pieces, knowing that if you suck, you get a good draft pick and you get a, a new quarterback or it, it hits and it, the light bulb goes on and all of a sudden Malik Willis is your guy because, again, it's not for lack of arm strength. It's not for lack of athletic ability. It's not for lack of strength and size like he checks every box when it comes to all that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think Willis, to me, in this game, now we didn't see a lot of them. It was, what, one one drive that he was in? Yeah. Um, I thought he looked more comfortable. I, I thought he looked more comfortable than he has. Like, obviously, he had the one weird play where it looked like Henry didn't realize he was supposed to go for a play fake. Um, but he ends up making something happen out of that anyways. And and to me, I honestly thought that might have been on Henry because uh, it kind of looked like he had that uh, right. oh crap moment uh, when he realized he was <laughs> supposed to go across uh, the formation there. But um, either way, I did think I think Malik Willis has shown some small steps over the course of the season as we've gotten these little glimpses of him. Um, and we'll, it'll be interesting to see if we see any more of him over the next two games. I know uh, Rabel came out today and said he is not sitting Tannehill, uh, even no. if, you know, no. I guess the say the Jags beat the Jets on Thursday night, it becomes a very, very narrow path to the Titans not having to win that Jacksonville game in week 18 to, to win the division, which at that point, I think you could make an argument that, you know, if Tannehill's iffy, you sit him and let Malik Willis play against the Texans again um, and see if he can go two for two against Houston. Um, but, <laughs> you know, I mean, to me, like that almost is the way that they need to go. I mean, you got to find out what that answer is. Um, and there's, I no, love, there's no other path. Like there's not yeah. a, like, Aside from just letting Willis go, letting Tannehill go, like cutting everybody, changing coordinators, like I don't know what that's the that's what I keep thinking about is like what other options do they really have? It's like we're going to keep banging our head against this wall with Derrick Henry and Ryan Tannehill, or we're gonna tr we're gonna begin the big first step of changing everything. And you've already got the guy. Now, what I'm fascinated by, and I don't know what you think about this, I am fascinated. And and Zach says this that that Vrabel was very positive about Malik Willis during. Um, during his press conference on Monday he, today, he was very, I don't want to say effusive, but he was very much like the guy has learned a lot. He was far more prepared. He went in there. He's been running the scout team really, really well, commanding the huddle better, like said a lot of really positive things. Still has to read very intricate and complicated defensive schemes in a matter of seconds. <laughs> that's still, that's still the job. Yeah. Um, but I am fascinated because obviously John Robinson didn't love Willis either because he wouldn't have passed on him three times mm -hmm. if he did. I, I want to know so desperately how big the gap was in like how much Vrabel and how much Robinson liked Willis. Like I, I want to know if, if I could get any question out of Mike Vrabel with truth serum and like a 30 minutes to talk to him. It would not be how much did you and John Robinson disagree on scouting? Did you actually force him out? Blah, blah. I don't even care about that stuff. I want to know now about the future of this team. How much do you think Malik Willis can be a starting quarterback for your team? That is what I want to know what he thinks. And I don't, I don't know what you think. Here's, here's the, here's the other question. And I, I still, I'm still kind of in the same place with Willis that I always have been as far as like the tools are all there. I love his attitude. I love the fact that he seems like he is willing to put in the work to be really, really good. Um, so I always think that that formula gives you a chance, right? Um, 
what I don't know is, is, you know, is he ever going to be comfortable reading over the middle? Is he ever going to be to the point where he understands like what defenses are trying to do to him and can like really be like the puppet master of the offense? Cause I think Tannehill does so much of that stuff really well. And that is why the offense has clicked, you know, to a large degree with him under center. Um, so, you know, you're going to lose some of that regardless of who you go to, uh, right. you know, next season, but I, it, Willis is interesting to me, but I wonder also if there was any, if there's any thought about Jacksonville's really coming on right now. Um, Trevor Lawrence looks like he has taken the next step and is going to be a guy for the Jaguars. It's going to be hard for the Titans to win the division next year because Jacksonville's going to be better. They already have, by the way, Calvin Ridley kind of stashed away. Oh yeah. Uh, forgot about who, that. Right. Who I bet you all forgot about that <laughs> coming into that offense next year. In addition to, you know, the, the oh, weapons man. that they've already got, um, a and, lot of very know, talented defensive pieces. They're young. Yeah. So they've got, they've got something that to me, they are easily going to be the favorites to win this division next year. I mean, you could argue they're the favorites to win the division right now <laughs> this year. Um, but sanity, I wonder if, the fact that you look around the division and you say, all right, can Tannehill and Henry with a few modifications around them do enough to beat out the Jaguars next year? Can't believe we're and saying you, that. The answer is oh, wow. no. Maybe the times now just rip the bandaid off, yeah. reset your cap, see what Willis is, learn, you know, whether he's not is or isn't. And then you go into your, like you said, your Drake may, your uh, Caleb Williams, your Quinn Ewers draft in 2024 and, and see what, see what you can get if you can't. Um, I'm, I'm curious, <laughs> I'm curious, like it's, this is not something I had thought about, but if they do lose the division and miss out on the playoffs, doesn't it make all that decision-making a little bit more palatable from a PR standpoint? Because yeah. if you get the dead cat bounce, which is what we say when your coach is already basically fired and he ends up winning a couple games and the fans rally and they like him now, and then they keep him and you keep the guy that you're not supposed to keep. Like what happens if they win the division, they win a playoff game and it's because Tannehill and Downing are brilliant and all of a sudden, and all of a sudden, like it's almost the worst thing that could happen is that ha- that be the thing, and then everyone's like, "Oh, I guess we got to keep downing a Tannehill because they just won us a playoff game." I, that's almost like one of the worst possible things that can happen. Now, one of us on this show, <clears throat> I went back and listened to this. One of us on this show said Jacksonville was going to win seven games, that Trevor Lawrence was going to show significant improvement, and that the offensive weapons around him had been improved significantly, and that just having a competent adult running the franchise instead of Urban Meyer would make all the difference in the world. The other person that disagreed with me on this show is not currently here to defend himself. (laughs) (laughs) So we'll get to that in the offseason. But as it turns out, worst possible time to play the Jacksonville Jaguars as they are rounding into form, understanding Doug Peterson's offense. Trevor Lawrence is healthy. The weapons around him are finding rhythm. And of course, they do crazy shit in overtime too. So yeah. It's, the, it's the worst time to get this team. Now, again, if they lose to the Jets and, and you beat Houston and Dallas, it, it doesn't matter. You can clinch yeah. before the game in Week 18, in theory. In theory. Right. So we'll, we'll see about that. The playoff picture got really weird in the AFC, and I'm almost sort of thankful that the Titans don't get a ton of run <laughs> because you had one of the weirdest weekends in the history of the game with the largest comeback in the history of football with Kirk Cousins. You got the dumbest play in the history of the sport, potentially from the Patriots, which again, greatest reality TV show of all time is football. Um, and all these wa- crazy and wild endings. You got the controversy with the, with the commander's game. 
like no one really paid attention to the Titans <laughs> Lose, losing uh, and and maybe potentially choking away the division. We'll see. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. What, just give me a quick because I, you know, Zach will be back on Thursday. We'll preview the game against Houston. Houston's been much better. They almost beat Kansas City, took them to overtime on Sunday. Jacksonville's playing better. Uh, is this is this go into a winner take all in the final week? And and what do you feel about the last three weeks of the season now that you've seen la- the last four weeks? Yeah, I feel like that's where we're headed one way or another is that yeah. it's going to be it's going to come down to Titans, Jaguars and Jacksonville. Um, and, you know, who knows? I mean, it, like if the Titans were healthy and that means like Ryan Tannehill isn't playing on one leg. Traylon Burks is out there. They have, you know, competent corner play because Christian Fulton is back. Imani Hooker's back. You know, guys like uh, Danico Autry is back. Uh, maybe David Long even is back. If they've got some guys back and are healthy, I think they could still win that game. I really do. Like, I, I think the Jaguars For sure. are better. They're not great. They're not great. Uh, the defense is still pretty bad. I mean, the Jacksonville gave it, what, 34 to Dallas uh, yesterday. It, well, uh, they needed a pretty big comeback, too. It's not like they, they were down like 24 to 10. So, And the Titans moved the ball at will. Uh, yep. really for most of that Jaguars game, you know, second so half explosion with eight points against That's right. Yeah, unstoppable. Um, <laughs> but I do think the Titans could still go win that game. Um, and you know, whether that, whether that would influence their decision-making, I, I tend to think like, if it's up to Amy Adams strong, we kind of know what she thinks of this stuff, right? You know, she fired Malarkey after the team's first playoff win in 15 years. Um, so she was not influenced by that. Uh, oh, you're I, talking, yeah, yeah. But you know, like, yeah, whether whether or not like a a playoff was a, appearance, would, I still think he was a placeholder all along. Like, I always thought yeah. he was. I always thought he was a placeholder. But there's um, different different elements involved with this yeah, because yeah. you know, obviously, Vrabel's going to have a lot more say about what the coaching staff looks like than yeah. uh, you know what what Robinson, I guess, would or or whatever the situation you want to say was with the the malarkey deal, but. So Zach says, uh, I still don't believe in this Jaguar. The Jaguars are for real at all. I think it's going to end up being much like 2017. If you remember, that's the Bortles team that went to the AFC title game where they get hot, flame out, and then go back to their losing ways the next year. Um, and to that, I say, Zach, do you know the difference between Blake Bortles and Trevor Lawrence? And I know I've been the one guy who's like, Trevor Lawrence is the is the real deal, boys. Like, this guy is going to figure it out. Urban Meyer's that bad. <laughs> like... It's all Urban Meyer, um, and I don't. I don't even think Doug Peterson is that great, but I think I think Trevor Lawrence is is that good. Um, so we'll see. That's a huge difference. Blake Bortles, Trevor Lawrence, huge, huge difference. So part of the shift with where this team could go in the future, and and really the questions I think we can ask Mike Vrabel is is about this injury. And I've got a theory, a philosophy that I want to float to you and see what you think, because it's almost impossible to directly tie, you know, like specific injuries to a style of play or a style of coaching. I mean, unless you're running junction boy shit in like 1954, like, I don't think you can tie, there's very strict rules on, on, you know, concussion protocols and padded practices. And like, there's a lot of rules the NFL puts in place to maintain certain things. And Vrabel said on Monday that they largely are just doing walkthroughs in practice to get guys to a certain percentage point and then get them into the games that they're not doing a lot of hitting. They're not doing a lot of hard stuff. Nobody in the NFL really does. So I am curious why this is continuing to happen now for two straight years, as are all of the fans and media. And I think probably Vrabel to some extent too. And the only thing I can really come up with about why this continues to happen, and again, we're not talking about the fluke injuries in a game where 
Ryan Tannehill's running and scrambling, and a guy rolls up his ankle. That's just the thing that happens. Derrick Henry falls on Nate Davis's ankle. That's just the thing that happens. That's football. But is there something to the philosophy and identity of a Mike Vrabel coach team that wants to be dominated in the trenches, dominate the, 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 the physicality battle? We know the type of player Mike Vrabel is, that this sort of like, it's not machismo or like, it's just this, the style of play. Is there any way to draw a line from the style of play the Tennessee Titans want to exhibit and be every single Sunday to the amount of injuries that they have sustained over a two-year period on both sides of the ball? Because I don't know about you, I cannot come up with anything other than just unlucky for a team to have this many injuries on almost every possession. Yeah. Like I mean, every possession. It, it, it's unbelievable at this point. It's like it, when a play ends and there's not a Titan down on the field, you know, with medical attention, it's, it's like an upset now. Um, but it is unreal. Like the last two years have been unlike anything I've ever seen before. And I keep trying to like wrap my head around what is going on here. What's the problem. And, and I think, you know, a lot of people are just at the point where it's, we'll fire all the strength and condition conditioning coaches and, and all that stuff. I, I struggle with that because I'm like, like you said, some of this stuff, strength and conditioning coach isn't going to stop somebody from falling on Ryan Tannehill's ankle three times in, in a season or, or, you know, stop the fact that Traylon Burks gets hit blasted in the face with an illegal hit uh, and concussed and knocked out for two weeks. Like some of this stuff is just bad luck. It, it just is what it is, but it is crazy. Like at some point, you can't have this much bad luck without there being like some underlying explanation unless you're just, like there's just black cats running all over your facility or something like that. Um, so I think it's something that they have to look into as far as strength and conditioning. I think the style of play thing is an interesting angle, but you know, I, I looked up, you know, man games loss, the the site that keeps up with like all of the information from different injuries as far as like total games lost, you know, impact right. to the players, whatnot. And if you look at other teams that I would consider like physical football teams. And I would say like the 49ers would be one of those. Um, you know, I would lump probably like uh, Baltimore into that group. Baltimore is pretty high up as far as injuries concerned. There's, there's no one anywhere close to the Titans. Currently. Pittsburgh? Would Pittsburgh uh, be in this category? Uh, you could say Pittsburgh. Um, yeah, I guess so. You know, I would say the, inter the other interesting part of this argument too is like, which side do you view as more physical too, like the offense or the defense? Because most of the injuries have actually been on defense. And, and you know, to me, a lot of that is, I mean, your play style is almost dictated by your opponent at that point, because, you know, are you playing the chiefs who want to spread you out? Or are you playing somebody who wants to run it at you? But, um, but, but you still, but you have more control over the style of your yeah, attitude. True. And again, I, yeah. I don't know. You, you play, you were a basketball player, Mike. So uh, you're yeah. very, you're very, very tall, but playing football, part of the reason I never was very any, any good at defense is that it's almost all instinctual. Like it's yeah. reactionary. It's instinctual. It's, it's muscle memory. You've trained to diagnose and react instantaneously. And then physically you've got to fly there. You got to fly yeah. to where you need to be get to your assignment, fill a gap, cover a man, whatever it might be. Part of the reason I had to play offense is not that I didn't mind the physicality. It's that I was not quick enough to react to, to, and have the instincts. Like I needed to know where I was going. I played wide receiver. So I needed to know exactly where I was going to have any chance at all to like break you down and get open. Like I just, there was, I had no chance if I played defense yeah. and I, and I loved the physicality. I love taking hits. I love giving hits. Like it's fun, but with defense, it's about like, 
there's some insanity there <laughs> on defense. And that is clearly where Mike Vrabel wants to be in a rock fight every single Sunday. He wants yeah. his defense to dictate tone and tempo and physicality. They draft physical players in the front seven. They draft physical safeties that like to they draft they draft corners that love to tackle. Elijah Molden is a very physical player, and it's not a surprise that a five foot ten guy has had multiple injuries playing for Mike Vrabel, who likes to be a physical player. So yeah. again, is it all coincidence? I don't know. Probably. Can you tie in this many injuries to to a strength and conditioning staff? I think you would need to show me some really specific scientific data before I blame anybody on a on a you know a strength and conditioning staff. I blame more of the style of play than anything else. But again, even that's kind of a guess at this point. And and the strength the other thing on the strength and conditioning topic because there are there are some teams that you know there is a lot of teams that invest a lot of money in strength and conditioning analysis, like whether it be analytics or, or just like investment in studying how teams practice, how you keep players healthy. It does sound like some of the stuff that the Titans do is pretty advanced. You know, Vrabel talked a lot about it today and he's talked about it before, you know, that all of the stuff that they monitor from a workload standpoint at practice and whether they monitor speed and power output and all this stuff so they can tell when a guy may have an injury that he has not reported. Um, I know they do that stuff. So it is, they're, they're doing some stuff that I would consider like pretty advanced, but I don't know what other teams do maybe above and beyond them. So that's to, to me, like something that the new GM, whoever that may be has to study and say, look, let's go to, um, I know the Rams, uh, not, not this season. They've had a lot of injuries this season, but for five seasons prior, I think they were in like the top five in the league and avoiding injuries for like five straight years. Um, and the Vikings went and hired one of their, one of the Rams strength and can do like, I think it's like player performance or something right, like right. that, but they hired somebody off the Rams staff and the Vikings have had very little injury issues this year. So I would go look at what are teams like that doing? Is that just coincident that this guy just happens yeah. to like have good luck or whatever? Like, what are they doing that the Titans are not that is helping them stay healthy? Because the Titans clearly have an issue. Um, and I don't think that it's all luck, but I also don't think it's all just like, oh, well, this strength strength team doesn't know right. what they're doing. You know, it's, a, it's, uh, it's, it's probably a combination of things. I, so I Market, Marcus says, is there any correlation to teams that tackle well efficiently and injuries? I, I think that would be interesting to, to learn and study. Yeah. I, I, again, this is a, Vrabel prides himself on having really good tacklers. They they drafted really good tack. Again, their secondary is full of a bunch of dudes that are really good tacklers. That's one of the things they they look at in the draft. I do think, and he used the phrase "repeat offenders" in his press conference about guys who are kind of constantly injured. I do think that can be, you know, they they clearly said to Jer- Jeffrey Simmons and Caleb Farley and these other guys that the injuries are not a big concern. And I know we're already talking. Jackson Smith and Jigba, who I think is one of the best wide receivers to ever I've ever seen in college football. I would love to have him if I'm a Titans fan, but a lot of injuries. <laughs> so <laughs> it's it's already there on his resume. Should it be a concern? I again are I would need to see teams that throw the ball significantly more and run true spread offenses and and are just willing to play in shootouts. And and defensive philosophy is not their primary. Like, like it's number two on the list where we know Vrabel's always going to be defensive philosophy number one over the offense. I want to know if those teams somehow, Chiefs or whatever, are staying healthier over time. And it needs to be over time. It can't be like one year, two year. It needs to be like over 10 years. Yeah. 
teams that are running spread offenses that are wide open in space and they're slinging it around 45 times a game that they are healthier, not winning more, but that they are healthier. And, yeah. and then maybe we can point to, all right, this style of play is, a, is part of this equation. But otherwise, it's it like, I don't know, my, my land on this. It's it's all the margins anyway. This guy for the Vikings that you're talking about, the, the, the monitoring of the GPS stuff at practice that Rabel talks about, it's all on the margins. Derrick Henry breaks his foot. That's not because, like, if you if a doctor can show me it's because he had 230 carries by October, then sure, let's have that conversation. But I, I, there's no correlation, at least so far, that I've found. I, it's all on the margins. You're either lucky one year or you're not. If this happens a third year, next year, because they're what they had 93 last year was a record, right? 93 yeah, players, was, 91, 91, 91 or 93. Yeah. They're at 80 already this year, so yeah. they're getting close. If they add a few more pieces over the next three games, they could actually get close to their own record. I, like if, if it happens a third year in a row, then you have to start talking about what is Mike Vrabel's staff doing? But yeah. I don't know if we're there yet, I guess. I mean, I it's, it's definitely something that I feel like they've, they've got to study. Like, and if, if, uh, if Amy Adamstrong wants to hire me to, to do that <laughs> investigation into 10 years uh, of, of adjusted games loss versus uh, tackle rate or whatever, whatever. Yeah, there we go. Use, tackle I'm, rate, I'm down. I, you know, call me up, Amy. So tackle rate, uh, games lost, style of offense and defense, and, and then again, repeat offenders from college and 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 free agents. Are you bringing in players that are continually dealing with these things? Uh, again, AJ Brown, Roger Saffold happen to be healthy this year. I don't. Is that coincidence? Probably. Probably. I, w- I wouldn't bank on AJ Brown with two knee surgeries being healthy the rest of his career. I wouldn't bank I'll, on that. I'll, I'll also say this regarding the AJ Brown, Roger Saffold point. Is is a little bit of selection bias because we don't say that about Corey Davis. We don't say that about Jack Conklin. I know where's, do- where's the Dory Jackson? <laughs> yeah, all those guys were hurt. So I mean, they they've been hurt right. consistently since they left the Titans. So yeah. it, I, I think it's you know you can point to anything or any one example and, and kind of prove a point. But uh, it's I, I think on the whole, it is that doesn't hold up as far yeah. as like guys leaving the Titans and being I- healthy suddenly. I know that that Vrabel and Robinson and everybody for the Titans would just brush this off, but I, I will say there's something to also being extraordinarily small. Like Kyle Phillips, it Kyle Phillips is going to be more easily hurt, and Adoree Jackson is going to be more easily hurt. Elijah Molden is going to be like when you play really physically and you love football and you're small, like that's just automatically going to be a, a tough. A, a, it doesn't mean you can't be, be healthy and play. It's just it's a factor. It's going to be a factor in, in all of this. So uh, okay. All right. Um, I think that's all we got for the Titans. Zach will be back on Thursday. We'll be back on Thursday to preview, of course, the big game coming up this weekend. You got Christmas coming up this weekend as well. Lots of bowl games, some SEC stuff as well. Uh, so we will talk about that. Oh, uh, Stoney wants to ask, what did you think of, of Raiden's before? Of course, he gets hurt. Uh, he does. I don't know about you. He didn't look like he was playing real football in most pass sets. <laughs> like, Is that a weird thing to say? Yeah. It felt like he, it felt like he was kind of just like going through the motions. But a couple of times he, you know, he was one on one and did his job, I guess. I don't know. He also got beat a couple of times too. So yeah, he um he actually so PFF had him for zero pressures allowed. Uh and I think it was 10 pass snaps. Um I thought he looked actually pretty good for the most part. The holding penalty to me like yeah. wasn't a huge thing. Uh that, that like the broadcast team did a good job bringing it up that that was a a screen that went awry and then he was just kind of stuck. Yeah. yeah. Um, effort, effort penalty sometimes. Yeah. So uh, to me, I thought he played pretty well overall. I do want to watch the all 22 and see how he did like as a run blocker. Um, but to me, like 
hey, look better than Daly. <laughs> like, at least you could see when he passed that, he was actually able to get depth off the line of scrimmage and, like, <laughs> move and, like, keep up with a, an edge rusher and push him past Tannehill versus just, like, yeah. flailing and, and, you know, as a guy went by. But yes, his feet, I, I actually, his feet actually moved during the play. That, that exactly. Is, yeah, they did. Yeah, yeah. They, they didn't move all that fast, but they did move during the play. Um, I, I will say I agree with Zach on this. It's it, it it's just time to be done with the Dennis Daly thing. Like y- you guys have made enough excuses. Let's you tried Raidens, obviously. Let's go back yeah. to that if he's healthy, and yeah. and see what happens. Um, if, okay, if uh, healthy, he has to be the guy. Yeah, yes. I agree. Uh, World Cup final. I just want to say, look. If you, you, you Titans fans, you Nashvillians, you college football fans that tune in. By the way, Kingston Group Pharmacy, two of our great sponsors. Make sure you check them out. Support local business. BuildKG.com, of course. Pharmacy over there in East Nashville and McFerrin Avenue. Great place to get out of the house during the holidays. You got the in-laws. You want to go You slip out for a couple hours. Go check out the pharmacy. Great place to grab a beer and a burger and just kind of chill out and relax with no TV screens, no phones, no social media, no in-laws, no gift giving. Just chill out and relax at the pharmacy. Great place to go do that, of course. Uh, and of course, the Kingston Group. Don't make any big decisions about your house before you talk to them. It's buildkg.com. Um, I guess I would just say to all the people who love this show, we love you and we know you love it because of Titans and SEC football. Like that's what this show is all about. But if you do not, if you did not enjoy what that game gave you, a 3 3 extra time messy coronation as the greatest of all time with arguably the two best, two of the top three teams in the world competing in front of probably 4 billion people watching this. 3.5 billion watched in 2018. It's going to blow that number away from a rating standpoint. And in what amounts to a Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, 42-38 Super Bowl, I I don't know what else. You are not among the living. You're not a human being with a soul and a heart if you watched some of that game and did not, and you were not hooked. I I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, and honestly, to borrow a little bit of your analogy there, to me, this was this was the Bucks Chiefs Super Bowl, except if Tom Brady actually, you know, and, and Mahomes actually went, you know, like you said, 45 to 42 Bananas. or something yeah. like that and just went yeah. nuts and were trading blows because it was the greatest of all time against like the next generation, uh, like the greatest of the next generation right now in Mbappe. So, like, I mean, like, the yeah, you're right. Brady pace, Mahomes is better. Especially in the end of of that of you know both regular time and extra time, like was insane. Like it was up and down, chances on both ends, like a crazy save by the Argentina keeper. Like it was phenomenal. Like and and I didn't grow up a soccer guy. Like I was not a soccer guy growing up. Uh, I've adopted it, uh, you know, as as an adult and and begun to really enjoy it. Like and I love watching it. I watch you know club soccer and stuff like that. But there's something about like the representing your country and like the pride that these guys have doing it. And, you know, for Messi getting that moment, which has, you know, eluded him his whole career and was just kind of like the final cap uh, on like what is basically the perfect yeah. uh, soccer career is, was really special to see it done that way with him scoring. And, and, you know, obviously with just the back and forth nature of it. it I'm, I'm, I'm just glad I don't have to argue with my friends anymore about stupid ass Ronaldo. Like I can just be done with that and be like, no, he's not as good. He's not as good. Now I know a world cup championship depends on a million other things. And if Messi happened to be born in like Turks in, in uh, Trinidad and Tobago, we wouldn't be talking about, you know, his, <laughs> Tobago wouldn't be talking about his World Cup championship right now. I get it. Argentina 
happens. But Portugal is pretty good, though. But I just I'm glad yeah. that the argument is done. So if you're on Team Messi, like I was before, now you're never going to convince me otherwise that Messi's not the greatest of all time. Uh, I did have to explain to my wife that he's five foot two. <laughs> she, she, she was a little a little alarmed at that. George, dude, I, look, nine a.m. on a Sunday was we we drank two bottles of champagne with the kids. Like we were having a, a blast watching a nine a.m. Sunday game. Uh, George, you need to get in the game. Uh, I will. I'll, I'll go further with your analogy because I think it's it's actually better. It's not Allen and and Mahomes, two guys like in their prime. This really was Brady versus Mahomes, the greatest of all time potentially at his position. But here's what it what really like. Let's go further. It was Brady being up like twenty four to seven with like ten minutes to go in the fourth quarter, and then Mahomes does some crazy nonsense, scores like two or three times to tie the game at like twenty seven. It goes into overtime, and then they both score touchdowns, and it ends up 31-31 going into double overtime. And and it like it, that that is what took place. And then of course they both end up scoring again in over in double overtime. So you just have to keep going with the analogy. And of course, the only, the worst part of this analogy is that Brady rides off into the sunset with a with a, with the championship. That's the yeah. the part we all hate. But um otherwise it's it sticks and if you weren't interested in that i can't help you i'm sorry you're just you're not among the living it was incredible tough tough game for our guy uh justin Mello of uh music city audible who is a diehard portugal fan uh and christian cristiano ronaldo apologist so uh tough 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 breaker here i mean look if he's that great why is he on the bench that's all i gotta say <laughs> that's all i gotta say <laughs> i mean i know i know i know neither one of them likes to to pay their taxes uh, that's fine, but one is way douchier. Okay, it's not even close. The, douche, the douche factor is off the charts. 100%. Uh, and I'm I'm talking about Ronaldo, not Justin. By the way, we love you, Justin. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you just can't look at you look at one guy and you're like, uh, yeah, I don't want to talk to you. And then you look at Messi and you're like, you want to come over, dude, and have a beer? <laughs> yeah, he looks pretty chill. Yeah, come over and have a beer. Um, okay, no, Jason, I cannot do this in cricket terms. I don't even know how they score points or runs or goals in cricket. I'm not even sure how that works. Mike, yeah, thank you so much. Think for hanging out tell everybody again where they can read you find you and listen to you so f words pod this or yeah this week will be out uh wednesday um uh my my column at parkrsk.com will be out wednesday morning as well and then a mike herndon show or the mike herndon show i'm uh, combining uh, our show with this one uh, a mike herndon show <laughs> a mike herndon show of, of just go of just <laughs> just go listen to a Mike Herndon show. Just yeah, just yeah. one of them or two of them, whatever. All right. Cool. Listen to all Mike's stuff. Read all Mike's stuff. Zach will be back on Thursday. Kingston Group, of course, right there. Build KG right there. You got Pharmacy right there. Support our local businesses. So sign up for an insider account at Broadway Sports Media and check out all the other great shows from 440 Sports. My name is Braden Gall for Mike Herndon. Thanks for hanging out. Thanks for listening to all you guys. We really appreciate it. Rate, review, subscribe. This has been a football show. <laughs> <laughs>